All right, let's grab our Bibles. If you are visiting here with us this morning at Freedom Fellowship, we are glad you're here. Uh, we like the Word of God. We enjoy the study of the Scriptures. We take it pretty serious. So we encourage you guys to bring a Bible uh, to church with you. We're going to be uh, taking a look at Matthew chapter 26 together this morning, and we're going to be finishing up this chapter uh, together. Um, back in 75, there was an angry man who rushed into Reich's Museum, which is over in Amsterdam, um, until he reached uh, um, Rambart's uh, famous picture or painting. Uh, this is called uh, The Night Watch. He took a knife out. This guy was just undone, and he began to slash this picture uh, apart repeatedly before uh, he got stopped. And then three years before then, uh, in distraught, a hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. I got to see uh, Michelangelo's work here in person. It was pretty cool. Uh, this is the Piata, um, very cherished work. Uh, that was severely damaged by this man who had a hammer and just began to swing and smash this thing uh, apart. Um, but what did the officials do with these? Did they just throw them out, forget them, who cares? Absolutely not. Using experts who worked with the, uh, the utmost care to restore these uh, works of art, very precious works of art that were made um, they made every effort to make them back to what they were. I think about that, and then I think about you. I think about me. I think even about Peter that we've been discussing here in Matthew chapter 26. To God, there's much more value to us than these works of art. Okay, And God, using his best experts, grace, love, and forgiveness, work with uh, the utmost care and precision to make every effort to restore us again. So let's pray. Father, as we are gathered together once again, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you work with broken lives. God, that's why you came and you died, Father, to save us. We love you for loving us, for that love of yours that restores, repairs us, God. That's reconditioning us, rehabilitating us, Father, rebuilding us. Our splinter lives, God, you've given us new life. We're reborn because of you. And we thank you for that, God. And we would pray this morning as we consider once again your word, this gospel, as we get to look into uh, your life, God, the life of Peter, God. May we take your word and apply it well to our lives, God. We don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers, Lord, no matter how young one may be in the Lord or how mature another may be, God. There's things that you are wanting to do with each and every one of us. And we thank you for the way you care for us, God. Amen? Amen. So let's take a look here. We're going to pick it up in verse 57 together. And we're going to look at Jesus, the rock that never cracked. And up to this point, Jesus has been through quite a bit and we're in this final week of his life okay and let me tell you what guys as we study over the next 
uh, chapter, we're going to see some of the most horrific things that have ever been done to anyone. Um, so we're going to see Jesus here never cracking. But we know that Peter is a rock that did crumble, and we'll get to him in a moment. But first, verse 57. And those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses, liars, they came forward and they said, This fellow, he said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it again in three days. And then verse 62 tells us that the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat on his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one that struck you? You guys trying to put yourself there? What's really going This really happened, guys. This isn't just a story we find in the Bible. Jesus really did. This is a real account. He really went through these things. And here, guys, before us, this is probably the most famous trial of all time, of all human history. He was tried before the world, and the world, guys, was tried before him. Here, we have a scene that would be likened to, say, a sheep being led to a pack of hungry hyenas to stand trial before the conviction of these starving coyotes by this bloodthirsty wolf, this judge, okay? That's what I picture in my head is going on here, okay? They just want to devour him. They don't care what he says, what he's done. We just want him dead. So this trial was actually in two sets. There were three stages with the different Jewish trial and then the Roman trial that Jesus had to partake in you see the jewish trial was first tried by annas he was the former high priest in israel in jesus's day and then it moved to the full council which is depicted for you and i in our text here this morning and then there was an early morning session and a final vote that we find in the first verse of chapter 27 but he also went before the roman courts there was a trial there you guys remember pilate 
Probably didn't know what to do. Hey, let's send him over and we'll try him over with Herod. Herod, I don't know what to do. I'm sending you back to Pilate for another trial. So you guys are familiar with that. I'm excited to get to Israel. I hope we get to go to Caiaphas's house when we go there. It's known as the Church of, uh, of St. Galilantu. Um, but there are two witnesses that we're told of in this passage Okay, to fulfill the letter of the law, there had to be at least two witnesses brought forward. But the line they broke uh, both the letter and the spirit of the law. Okay, they were bearing false witness here. And then in verse 61, guys, the serious matter of speaking against the temple. That's something you don't do. Okay. It'd be like someone living in Wisconsin and speaking against Lambeau Field. How dare you do that okay i mean it very much more so for a jewish persons in regard to their place of worship and that's a true and living god you see the same charge is what led to the death of stephen you guys remember in acts chapter 6 there he was the first martyr and we're told in verse 13 of that chapter they also set up false witnesses against him the same thing took place against him and this man does not cease to speak blasphemies words against the holy place, the temple, and the law. Okay, so that's one of their big things. How dare they speak against the temple? So did Jesus really say this? Yep. You guys read the same book I'm reading? In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, they were citing verse 19, and this was earlier in Jesus' ministry. And the context always is very important. Yeah, he said that. But what's the context to what he was saying? Okay, I have a hard time sometimes with some of these watchman ministries that are out there. They'll pull things out that people say, yeah, that sounds horrible. How dare they say that? But you can go back and see the context sometimes. And it's just like, wait a minute. There was a reason why they said what they said. In the context of what they said, it is biblical. I would agree with that. And then there's other people who do really say those things and the context is horrible around it. But the point is, guys, context is so important, especially when it comes to the scriptures. So what did Jesus actually say? Well, Jesus answered verse 19 in John chapter 2 and said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And then Jesus said, it is, or the Jews said to Jesus, it has taken 46 years to build the temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of what? His body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. Okay, so that's the context. I'm going to be crucified, buried. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Okay. Now, in verse 63, this oath, okay, I will put you under an oath by the living God. Tell us, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of of God. As a prisoner, Jesus said nothing. As a judge, he will say a lot. Okay? I love that. And then we see verse 64. Um, Mark makes it really queer, or clear in verse 62, okay, of Jesus really revealing plainly who he is. Because in Mark's account, it says, I am. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. I am 
the Christ. I am the Son of God. I am the Savior you've been waiting for. Absolutely. So Jesus couldn't deny being the Messiah, the Son of God, yet couldn't really explain it to these worldly men. Okay, you guys ever have a hard time with that? How is you're telling me, Christian? Jesus, the guy who died on the cross, the one that we celebrated in December, the one being born in that manger, him, you're telling me that he's God? The Savior of the world? I don't get it. That don't make sense. Okay, And that's the world they don't understand. Even though God laid it out clearly, even though the Jews had the word, it was prophesied and spoken to, they still didn't get it. Okay, And having a worldly mind, we're not going to understand it. Because it doesn't make sense. Does it really make sense that God Almighty, the creators of heaven and earth, loved you enough to send his only son that he would become, God would become like you and me? Humble himself to become a man? To live a perfect life and to on a cross for us? To pay for our sins? Does that make any sense? If God, God would never do something like that. Well, the living God did. He foretold it, he did it, and he's coming back again. We know that. We know it's true. But the world don't get it. They think that's ridiculous. Anyways, we pray. We want to see all people come to know Jesus because that is the heart of our God. He wants to save all. It's cool. I want to share with you guys these two Old Testament messianic prophecies that Jesus brought up here. One that we see in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand hand till i make your enemies your footstool you know isn't that cool the lord said to my lord okay sit at my right hand and then the other one is in daniel chapter 7 verse 13 i was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him so in these two quotations guys okay jesus here predicts his resurrection his ascension and then his returning glory. I think that's pretty cool, okay? So this means salvation. Salvation is there for those who will trust him, yet condemnation to those like Caiaphas. The rock of our salvation did not crack. I love it. Aren't you guys thankful? He came with a mission, and he fulfilled that mission. Jesus stood Rock solid. Guilty of only one thing. Oh, pastor, you're going to be blasphemous here. I'm going to quote you. Good, he was guilty. Well, God never did anything wrong. How can he be guilty? Well, he's guilty of love in the first degree, guys. <laughs> it's the only thing I can find in Scripture. God is love. And he showed it, guys. He didn't just give lip service to it. He demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, 8 tells us he died upon the cross. He showed us his love, guys. For us to stand the same, we must, in a profound moment-by-moment -moment dependency upon God, we have to be dependent upon the Father, guys. 
You see, Paul summed it up best in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. He says, our power, okay, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness, okay? For when I am weak, then I am strong, he goes on to say. And I love what Vance Havner said. The Lord had the strength and I had the weakness. So we teamed up and it was an unbeatable tandem. <laughs> Think about that, guys. And another brother, Hudson Taylor. You guys familiar with him? He was a missionary. He did the inland uh, Chinese missions. Oh, man, if you have not looked into this brother's life, late 1800s, I think he started 120-some schools, brought in another 800 missionaries. Tens of thousands of Chinese people came to faith in Christ. He was really the first missionary to go over there. Phenomenal things, guys, and it's so cool because the Chinese church today, just over 100 years later, is rising up. And you guys know that there's 50, 60 million believers in China today think about that and think about what he said here he said Hudson Taylor said this God chose me because I was weak enough he trains somebody to be quiet enough and then uses them I love it I love it you know because man we're gonna rock it for Jesus Christ we're gonna build a ministry and if we just get the coolest of cool the smartest of smart in here get that guy who went off to seminary and rocked it if we can get him then God's gonna do something big that's what the church is doing today okay we need all stars to rock it for the kingdom of God I love how God in the scriptures just shows regular people people that knew that they were broken that they were weak because who gets the glory? It's God. It's God. You know? And let me encourage each and every one of you. I don't think there's many smart in here, many strong. I may be wrong. But I'm hoping you guys are kind of like me. You know? But God will use us in our weakness. That's our God. Let's move on to Peter. Peter, the rock that crumbled. Let's pick it up in verse 69. It says, Now Peter sat outside the courtyard... And a servant girl, a girl, this means probably someone under the age of 12, okay, came to him. Now, you guys remember, Peter was just in the garden with Jesus. He was willing to die for Jesus. I mean, he was taking out the sword. He was going to war. He was going to kick some butt. I mean, he didn't do a good job trying to, you know, get a guy and just got his ear. I mean, he wasn't that good. But he was willing, right? <laughs> he was willing to try. But this little girl now comes to him after Jesus has been arrested and said to him, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were, were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who had said, to him before the roaster grows, you will deny me three times. 
So he went out and he wept bitterly. Three strikes, but not out. This night, Peter, otherwise known as the rock, would crumble. Peter was known as the rock, okay? The Gibraltar of the disciples, yet the rock was not without its crack. There were these hairline fissures that led to the crumbling under the pressure, and Christ detected those cracks in his character. So Peter, ready to fight outside, inside he trembled before the saucy little servant girl. So <laughs> how could such a dedicated disciple fall so hard? I mean, this is Peter the Rock, the first pope. How could he <laughs> fail so miserably? Thought they were infallible and disown allegiance to one he loved? How could he do this? Well, the answer is really important because if the apex of the apostles here, okay, can fall, then so can you and I. You guys agree with me? Okay, so this is important for you and I. And the answer, okay, is simply laid out in Luke's account in chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon. His name literally, Shifting Sand, Shifting Sand, goes back to his old name, not calling him Peter. Shifting Sand. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Oh. Ken Geyer says this, Tonight in those hands, Peter would fall. Satan wants to thresh his faith and beat it into the ground until the husk breaks open. Then he'll show the world what's really inside Peter's heart. And once the other disciples see this, the backbone of the revolution will be as good as crushed. You see, it's healthy for me to remind myself of who or what will be affected if I fall. My wife, my children's respect, my character, my reputation, my example, my credibility, my church friends, my church that I get to serve at, other ministries, other boards that I serve on, chaplaincy stuff, community embarrassment, and especially really the shame that it would bring to the name of my Savior. You see, I've had to really add up the tally too late with too many friends that have fallen over the years. Another one. Really, Lord. Didn't see that one coming. I was just down at his conference. We just celebrated 30 years of awesome ministry. Really, Lord. Never saw that coming. This brother I respect. I've received counsel from him too, Lord. Really. Now, guys, I want us to note together um, Satan sifts here. There's three players that's, that, that, that are in the game right here. We have Satan, and he sifts. We have Christ. He prays. And then you have 
really you or Peter returning, okay? After you blow it, you return. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now look at verse 70 with me. He denied again. So not ask, Lord, have I denied you? Don't ask that question. But I think the question you and I need to ask is, in what areas in my life have I denied you? Okay? In what many ways am I denying you? Okay? And how many different times? Just be honest with him. When I'm too busy to pray, I deny that you're the center of my life. When I neglect your word, I deny that you are able to guide me. When I worry, I deny that you are the Lord in my circumstances. When I turn my head from the hungry and the homeless, I deny that you are the God of mercy who has put me here to be your hands and to be your feet. When I steal something from another person to enrich or enhance my life, whether that be something material or some credit that is rightly due another, which I have claimed for myself, I deny you the source of all blessings. Yes, we deny him daily. So, verse 74 speaks of a curse. What is he saying here? He was saying, let me be under a curse if I'm not telling the truth. Or to swear means to swear an oath as one does in court. Okay, a formal legal denial. We can also read about that in Luke 22, now in verses 61 and 62. The Lord turned and looked. I want you guys to underline that in your Bible. He turned and he looked at Peter. Then he remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. It doesn't say here that Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Peter. Okay? It doesn't say that he just shook his head in disgust. It doesn't say that he lowered his head in disappointment. It doesn't say he said, I told you! cock a Instead, what does it say here? A look, a sympathetic, understanding look from the one who understood better than all what was to fall. Okay, what it was to fall into the sifting hands of Satan. You guys remember 40 days in the wilderness and then Satan came after Jesus. Jesus understood what that was like. So it is with that look, guys, that Peter's emotion suddenly caved in. It was that look that hit home like a small dirt clod being crushed into powder in a man's hand. It tells us here, and he wept bitterly. Strengths. What we saw Peter do right, and this is his strength, guys. He thought about what he did. No excuses. 
No, I got caught. <laughs> now I'm going to be sorry. This was true repentance, guys. True brokenness. And that's something we all need to go through in this life. I wish I could preach the perfect sermon that would force each and every one of you to break. I can't do it. No way. It's got to be your choice. You see, the Holy Spirit will come and convict. And we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know what our God deserves. But you have a choice to break and to truly repent. And we all have our stuff, guys. And there's not going to be breakthrough until we're broken. I had to meet with a young man this last week struggling with pornography. Hates what's going on. It is gross. It's evil. It can ruin you. And he sees that. But I told him nothing's going to happen. I can counsel you. Share the word with you. We can pray together. But until you're broken over this sin, nothing's going to change. Guys, brokenness is what God is looking for in our lives. You see, Peter, Peter had a pride issue, like all of us. Okay, and that's what it comes down to here. Humility is the key. You really want to see a life that's used by God you're going to see yourself as weak, as broken. You're going to find what humility looks like, and you're going to begin to grow in that humility. Because in that, we find the grace of God. And that's what we need. That's what this world needs. Think of a story. My friend Troy's here this morning, and one of the guys that we uh, used to really enjoy uh, as a Bible teacher was John Corson. You still listen to John? Yeah, I still listen to John once in a while. I don't know if you remember the story, but there's a story... Uh, of these ducks and frog and they were chilling out at this farm that had a pond and the ducks began to talk about how better the fishing was down a few farms at the other pond and the frog's just like oh that sounds so awesome but I can't get over there how am I going to get there and the ducks were like hey I got an idea why don't we grab this stick you put one in your bill and I'll put one in my bill and then little dude you can jump up froggy and grab on with your mouth and we'll fly you over there we'll get you there stuff so darndest thing <laughs> ducks grab the stick frog jumps up grabs on with his mouth they take off to this other farm stuff and the farmer's out in the field and he sees the darndest thing happening up there in the sky what's this happening you know who thought of this great idea the frog cries out i did <laughs> as he falls i mean great is the fall isn't it guys and that's the point. Okay, you guys won't forget that story either. It's a great one. <laughs> but isn't that pride? Do you remember that one, Troy? Did you ever hear that one? Yeah, I mean, that's pride, guys. Look at me, I. Okay? I is the middle letter in pride. I is the problem. Okay, Peter had his thing. He was going to do this. He was going to follow Jesus even to death. Now we're told he's following at a distance. And I think about how many brothers and sisters are doing the same thing today. They heard the gospel. They gave their life to Christ. I'm in. I'm going to follow. I'm going to seek. I'm going to serve. I'm going to share. And where are they today? 
following at a distance. Yesterday we considered with our board meeting, the elders got together. Just in the last days, how the love of many will wax cold. We've left our first love, guys. That's what's going on. And why? It's because of pride, me, self. I want this. I know, God, you're asking me to. I, I'm in your word. I still go to church. I still follow, but it's really at a distance. Because when I pray, I have my agenda. When I have do that, I, I secretly just am doing it to be seen by others. It's not really for kingdom business, eternal purposes any longer. I don't want us to be those. God doesn't want us to be those who follow at a distance, guys. And I'm hoping the Holy Spirit has been stirring our hearts. Because he's worthy, amen? He is worthy of it all. He deserves. I mean, he gave it all. We were bought at a great price. We're no longer our own. But are we going to own that reality, that truth? That's on us. We've been bought and paid for. But are we going to choose to say, ah, I'm all in. To the day I go, I'm going to follow you closely. Hey, the day I go home, we're not going to miss a beat. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm here. Because I've been with you. I've been following closely. And now I'm just with you in heaven. This is awesome. Anyways, we could talk more about that. Watch out for the eye. Did I share with you guys Mark 14? Look at Mark 14, 72. In his account, he says, the second time the rooster crowed and the Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Okay? When he thought about it, there's no excuses. Just be real. If you're in sin, own it. Repent of it. Okay? No excuses. We're good at justifying our sin. Just be real. A lot of us don't want to even deal with it. We're just going to ignore it. It's one of those things we're really good at as God's kids. Learn a lot from my own kids. <laughs> you know? oh, no, I didn't. What are you talking about, Dad? You know? I just saw you do it. <laughs> you know? I think we're the same way, aren't we? You know, son, what are you doing? What are you talking about, dad? <laughs> As I'm doing it, you know. So I think it's good to stop, to think, to repent, to weep. Though Peter, Peter's fall here was terrible, his repentance and then subsequent, uh, there we go, thanks, service <laughs> to the Lord really provides hope for you and I. That's what it does. He went on. He pursued the calling that God had put upon his life. And he wept bitterly. Okay? He wept bitterly. But though it's Friday, Sunday's coming, guys. So the night was about to turn to dawn. The winnowing was over. And we learned here to eat our words with bitter herbs of repentance. And may we never take a dry-eyed look at sin again. And wasn't it the first tear down the cheek that cleansed the dirty soul? Repentance. How quick does repentance take? How long? Man, it's a choice, guys. It's that quick. 
well, I got to get some things in order first. I need to start doing this and that. No. <laughs> no. Because you probably can't do it anyways on your own. <laughs> that's the reality. But that's the sweetness. I think repentance is the sweetest word in the Bible. Acts 3.19, repent that times of refreshing may can't come from being in the presence of the Lord. Guys, and we can repent that quick. How quick does a person get saved? Well, I've got to work up to my salvation. No. The second you turn from your sin, you say, yeah, I'm done. I'm turning to you, Jesus, my Savior. Forgive me. The second you repent and you turn to God, you're saved. There's no progress in sanctification or salvation. It just, I don't see it in Scripture. Okay? You're in or you're out. You're not working to getting in. But repentance is a part of it. That's why it's so important, guys, for you and I who understand that to live in that reality. So all that was left here is this naked kernel of faith, a small grain, but a grain nonetheless, a grain Satan couldn't touch. Oh, he can, you know, touch the chaff <laughs> if he asked for, but not the grain here. So the grain belongs to the Lord, and he will bring it into his granaries. So I want you and I to think about it. Okay, How can we characterize Peter when Jesus didn't? He didn't. Jesus never gave up on him. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. That's what Jesus did. See, Peter got far, but how far would he have gotten See, he failed in the courtyard where the others dared not even to step foot. He failed not under normal pressure, but Satan's own heaving when knowing pressure here. Okay? And I want us to remember, guys, if it, it was Satan doing the sifting. Did you guys read that with me? It was Satan. It wasn't Jesus doing it. It was Satan. Yes, he is real. Yes, he hates you, especially if you are born again. Okay, so Jesus was doing the praying. In matter of fact, Jesus warned, looked, and forgave and would restore him, you know, three times soon at the end of John's gospel. We read about that where Jesus simply asked Peter, do you love me? And it wasn't three times to rub it in. Hey, you remember when you died and denied me three times? That's not why he was doing it. Okay, he wasn't doing to rub it in, but really for each denial there, he gave Peter that opportunity to confess. Okay, and it was a confession of what? Of love. And it wasn't even that perfect love, agape. Do you agape me with perfect love, Peter? No, I phileo you in the Greek. I love you with a brotherly love. You know I don't love you like that. I'm a mess. You saw what I did, how I denied you. But what did Jesus do anyways? He restored him. You know, you don't have to have it all together, Peter. Feed my sheep. You don't have to have it perfect. Feed my sheep. Love me where you're at. Grow in that love. Be about my business. You're mine. You've walked with me. I've called you. I'm sending you. Go, Peter. So he had seen Peter, Peter's bitter tears of repentance. So news flash for you and I, Jesus doesn't sit in heaven sharpening a red pencil, okay, 
to check down every time that, you know, we mess up. Here's another jot. We fall on our face once again. Here's another one. And I think Peter tells us years later when he wrote his epistles, but in 1 Peter 4, 8, he, he tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. Wow. That's our God. And where did he get that good stuff from? Right here, guys. Right here. He lived it. He walked through it. He went through it. He experienced the love of God himself. So, you've been there too, haven't you? You failed him. You've fallen on your face. You've eaten some sand. Jesus wants neither regret, okay? Because regret is just that which would involve the mind, okay? Nor remorse, remorse, that's the mind and our emotions. Oh, I feel terrible. I can't believe I did that. I knew better. I'm broken over that. I feel horrible. He wants repentance. That's what he asks for in the scriptures. Repentance. That involves a changing of the mind, a changing of our emotions, and then a changing of the will. Okay? God is giving you a free will. You have a choice. That's what he wants. Because we can feel horrible all day long, but unless there's a true change, what's the point? You see, there is that turning away from sin. That is the will of God. That's what he wants for us. Are you willing to follow him in that? One failure doesn't make a flop. He is the God of second chance. You see, at Pentecost, guys, Peter wielded a different sword. It was a spiritual sword. It was the word of the Spirit in Victory was won. And so I'm so thankful, guys, for being given this second chance. You see, Peter would carry the gospel, okay, all the way to Rome. You guys know that he was crucified there upside down. But man, he was preaching the gospel as he went. How many of you guys have actually considered that in your life? Lord, what do you ask? What are you calling me to? Would it be to martyrdom? Would you actually ask me to go and to preach the gospel, even if it meant dying? Have you guys even considered that? Are you open to that? Maybe we should be? Just maybe? I don't know. What an encouragement, though, that we find here for those this morning who have felt like that lone coal, okay, sitting away from the heat off by itself, where Jesus comes along and bumps it closer to the others, and immediately it begins to glow again. There's a statue in Rome, okay? And I love this. It has Peter, okay? He's got the keys. You see the keys there? But do you guys see what it's at his feet? The rooster, I I appreciate this so much because there's the rooster. Courage and cowardice, right? Success and failure. So in closing, guys, four quick lessons from Peter. No one, not even a spiritual rock, is immune from failure. God knows our precise breaking point. When surrounded by wrongdoings, doing wrong comes easy. The first step towards correction is not act like we're strong, but to admit 
that we're weak. I wonder here, guys, how many rooster warnings God has put into our own barns. See, if you denied the Lord that bought you, look up to him who now looks down from heaven ready to pardon the backslider who cries. It's kind of like the returning of that prodigal son. Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then thank him. Just thank him. Stand to our feet. We'll thank them together. Worship team, why don't you guys come up? After we're done with the closing song of worship, I'm going to ask the elders to come forward. If any of you guys need to pray, maybe some of you guys see that you need to truly repent. We're told in scriptures to confess our sins to one another that we may be healed. There's healing that comes in that confession. Some of you guys may need to receive Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. Okay, come up, pray. Okay. Let's pray now. Father, thank you. We thank you for your divine arrests, for your reminding roosters. We thank you for those looks of love that we get from you, your sorrow and your pity, your love and your forgiveness. We thank you for your second chances. Amen? Amen. Amen.